0: Listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winterhaven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. It was a uniquely special time before Christmas for a family that we've already been introduced to. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the thing we remember about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they were uh, advanced in years, meaning they were not young people, meaning they were old and they had never had a child and in a very special encounter in the temple on the day that Zechariah just happened to be serving and just happened to be serving in the way that he was in the holy place, burning the incense, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that he encounters the angel, whose name is Gabriel. And Gabriel told Zechariah that he would, well, not him, but he and his wife would have a child. And that his name would be John and that the spirit would be upon him and that he would have a spirit like that of the prophet Elijah and he would be the forerunner of Messiah to come. Unfortunately, Zechariah didn't quite believe him and said, what sign are you going to give me to where I know what you're saying is true because I'm an old man, my wife is advanced in years. How am I going to know that what you say is true? And the angel said, done. You won't speak again until these things come to pass. And so Zechariah has had his mouth shut for nine months. And in Luke chapter number one, Beginning in verse number 57, we learn that now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. Mary has been with her relative for the past three months, celebrating not only the news that Elizabeth had heard, but the news that Mary had been given that not only was my old relative having a baby, but I'm having a baby too. And hers was even more miraculous because hers was going to be Messiah. And so now it was time for Elizabeth to give birth. And the Bible says in Luke 1, that she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke blessings to God and fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him. What we see in this little section, after this amazing message given to Zechariah and Elizabeth, we see the fulfillment of what God had promised. And we see a prophet being born. It tells us on the eighth day, that they came to to uh, to to bring the child through the rite of circumcision, which was identified for us in Genesis chapter number seventeen as the sign of the promise that God had made to Abraham. It was the it was the visible symbol of those promises that God had made, and man entering into that covenant with God, and man becoming a part of the covenant community. And it was a typical custom in that day for the child to be officially given his name on the eighth day during this ceremony. The parents were were faced with not only customs, but also the crowd. Did you see that in this scene that, that Elizabeth is surrounded by all of her friends and family? that that are thrilled that this amazing thing is happening. How in the world can this be? God has blessed you. God has shown you favor. This is amazing. Fanfare and celebration and people waiting and wondering and feeling the anticipation. It caused me to think about a contrast. a, A difference in two births. One, miraculous, surrounded by family and celebration. And another, in just a few months, to this story, alone, in scandal, somewhat in hiding. Yet God's favor was on both. God's work was happening in both. And the customs were engaged. We're here. It's the celebration. It's the ceremony. And we're going to name him Elizabeth. Tell us what his name is going to be because we know that Zachariah can't speak. And she says his name will be John. And not only were the customs there for the, the family to, be, to, to, to find as a hurdle, but the crowd there began now to change. Well, well wait a minute, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Nobody in your family is named John. Why would you want to name the child John? Obviously, God has shown you favor. And it would not have been out of the ordinary. In fact, it would have been very common because of the nature of this birth for the family to give the child the father's name as an indication of the father glorifying God because of what God had done for him. Because God has blessed me, now I'm going to honor God by giving this child my name. And symbolizing the hope that God's favor would be on him as well. But John, who's in your family named John, what does this have to do with anything? Don't you know that this is a momentous occasion? So Zachariah and Elizabeth facing the challenges of custom and facing now the challenges of the crowd... And they said, Elizabeth, you must be mistaken. Let, let's find out from, from Zechariah what he says. And did you notice it said that they made signs to him? Verse number 62. It, it causes us to think that possibly it wasn't just his mouth that was closed, but also his ears. So that very likely not only was he dumb of speech, but deaf of ears. And they made signs to him, and, and, and they were asking, this name, what is it? And Zechariah says, give me a tablet. Now, that, that caused me a little bit of, a, of a, a question in my brain when I heard it. Because I, when I think of tablet, I'm thinking about the steno pad. You know? And they didn't have that. So what is this tablet? So I did a little bit of reading. It was probably a piece of wood that was hollowed out, and then wax would have been poured into that hollow place. And then as the wax dried, it would would be possible to take a a stick or a a writing instrument and write. And then you would heat it up and almost like Etch-A-Sketch, you could write again. So he asked for a writing tablet. And what does Zachariah write? His name is John. Zachariah had already experienced the consequences that come with disobedience. In his case, disobedience was unbelief. He had been at least unable to speak and it seems possibly even unable to hear for a time of nine months. Zechariah knew what it meant to disobey. He had suffered the consequences of disobedience and he was having none of it because this child had already been given a name. He'd been given the name by the one who had performed the miracle. His name is John, which means God is merciful. Had not God been merciful to Elizabeth and Zechariah for all of those years not having a child, and now by God's direct favor, they're celebrating the birth of their firstborn in their old age. But we're going to learn in a minute that the mercy that God is referring to and the name that was given this child was not primarily about Elizabeth and Zechariah's shame, but about what this child was going to speak of that was to come. We hear Zechariah giving the name, and as immediately as he does, his tongue is loosed, we think his ears are opened, and he begins to praise God for what he has done. And the people saw... The people are marveling and the people are saying, we don't fully understand what's happening, but something unique about this child is going on. A takeaway that we can come from from this little section with as as we watch this scene of the things that happened before the birth of Christ and the coming of John, who would be the one that baptized. We see this. Walking with God requires obedience and there is no substitute for it God had approached Zechariah. God had told him what his plan was Zechariah had not believed had disobeyed and suffered the consequences and now as God is fulfilling the things that he said he will do and by the way God will always fulfill the things he says that he will do And we have the opportunity to be obedient to the things that he said as we are anticipating the fulfillment of what is to come. Walking with God, even in our world today, requires obedience and there's no substitute for it. You you know, sometimes we try to substitute obedience to what God has said with other seemingly religious things. Sometimes instead of being obedient, we just simply try to increase the amount of our giving. We would say, well, well, rather than doing what God has said, I'll just give more. I'll just increase my level of investment. And surely God will be able to look over what I'm disobeying because I'm giving him more than I have. More giving is never a substitute for obedience sometimes we say oh well what I need to do and and, and because I'm, I'm I'm feeling the pressure and the conviction of not being obedient well what I need to do is I need to bring more acts of service into my life acts of sacrifice into my life well I'll go to the mission this week and try to make up for what I'm not obeying or I'll I'll be a part of this of this uh, toy drive or, or or I'll go use my talents in such a way and maybe God will balance the scales because I know that I'm not being obedient, but maybe if I just provide more sacrifice of my life, more sacrifice, more service, there's never a substitute for obedience. And neither is more prayer, and, and neither is more worship. And neither is listening to more podcasts or reading more devotions. Neither neither is more praise a suitable substitute for obedience. Neither is more Bible study. Neither is more theological education. None of those things are a substitute for, for, for simply doing what the Lord has said. I'm reminded of Jesus saying, if you love me, just keep my commands. Just follow me in obedience. We see Zachariah giving us a good picture of what it looks like to have learned my lesson through disobedience and recognize if I'm going to walk this journey that God has placed me on by his grace and, and by his favor that I didn't deserve, but that he has given to me, then there is no substitute for obedience Y'all, it doesn't matter what the custom is. It doesn't matter what the crowd say. His name is John. And you and I, if we're going to follow Christ, we're going to consistently find ourselves going against the grain of custom and crowd. Because they already have an idea about how we should live. But if we're going to be obedient to Christ... And we're gonna have to do what he says. But then we move on. So, Zechariah, now his, his tongue is loosed and, and his ears are open and he's able to praise and he just runs into spontaneous praise fueled, it says in verse number seven. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, Zechariah's mouth is open. And this miraculous thing, this amazing thing that God is doing is transpiring. And now by the fuel and by the power and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, he begins to spontaneously praise in what looks like very similar to the hymn that Mary sang as she and Elizabeth celebrated her own unique news of a baby that was coming. And we see Zechariah begin to utter this praise fueled by the Holy Spirit. He says in verse number 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, and granted us that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness Of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah just bursts out in spontaneous praise, but prophetic. In his utterance, I'm not really sure that any that we're reading here, Zechariah was able to understand. But through the Lord's leading, he was able to say those things that would transpire. And he used exactly the terminology that God wanted recorded. So that we would know and so that Luke could tell and so that Theophilus would begin to understand that that reader for the first time. God's plan was unfolding even before everybody really even realized what was happening. What were some of the things that he said? Well, in his hymn. Different from Mary's. Mary's was more of a a hymn of praise to what God has done for me. This nobody living in a nowhere place. Zacharias hymn is more, look what God has done and is doing for us. And what does he say? He says, the Lord God of Israel has visited and redeemed us this reference we believe to god the father the plan that god had instituted in centuries past and if you think about the garden and you remember how that in the cool of the day the lord came and was seeking out adam and eve to fellowship with them but because of their sin they had been hidden It's almost like Zechariah is saying, he's visiting us again. He's coming and he's, he's mingling with us in a unique way. And he's redeeming us. He says he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. You'll find it interesting that 2 Samuel chapter 22 and Psalm chapter number 18 are basically the same little psalm recorded in two different places but they are the the songs of david after he had won great victory in in the hand in in, in the acts of battle and god had provided uh, his favor and that they had won and, and and been victorious and david is talking about how that that god has given him a horn of salvation you you deer hunters you can appreciate what this language means Well, what is the, what is the apparatus on the buck that allows it to, to defend itself and allows it to exert his authority over the others in the field? It's that rack, that thing that you want mounted on your wall. It's the thing that you ooh and ah and salivate over when you see pictures on Facebook of your buddies who got a bigger one than you got. And it's the horn. It's the horn that can, that can gig you. It's the horn that can that can affect you because it is a a defensive, it is a strength-bearing apparatus that God has placed. And what he's saying is, is that God is visiting us and redeeming us by raising up a horn of strength that's gonna provide salvation. And how is he gonna bring it about? Through the house of his servant David, this one is to come. Who is this servant of uh, through the house of David that was promised? It's that same descendant that was going to sit on the throne of his father David and was going to rule forever and his kingdom is never going to end. Who is this? They all knew this individual was Messiah. As the crowds are celebrating, as the crowds are wondering, Zechariah begins to talk about how that this child's birth is connected to God's visiting his people for the purpose of redemption by raising up a horn of salvation. This kid? No. From the house of David, he's not. From the house of David, he's going to raise up one. That's going to be the strength. This one that was spoken by the mouths of his holy prophets. The one that God had, had revealed beforehand through, through the mouths and, and the writings of people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. This one that has been promised. This one that we've been waiting on. God is active and this child is connected to that one. This one who was spoken by the prophets, that he would, verse 71, that, he should, uh, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. People have hated God's people from the time he established them in the life of the very first Abraham. There are enemies of the Jewish people. Even today, they're hated all over the world. At this time, when Zechariah talked about being delivered from our enemies, who do you think they were thinking about? The Romans. Because they were the ones occupying our land and holding that iron thumb on us. But it's more than just the Romans. It's more than just the Nazis. It's more than just the neo-Nazis of today. See, these enemies that he was going to vanquish were not only the physical enemies of Israel, but the spiritual enemies behind those physical enemies. As we continue to study through this book of Luke, it's going to be very clear that Luke wants to drive a point home through some events that are going to happen in the life of our Lord where he exerts his power over the spiritual demonic realm, showing clearly that this one that is in your presence, has authority and power over that realm. This one that was to come to save us from our enemies, from all those who hate us, and to show, verse 72, mercy that He promised to our forefathers. And remember His covenants that He spoke to those before us, to Abraham, to David... These promises that didn't depend on their faithfulness, this promise that, that didn't depend on whether or not they were obedient, but depended completely on whether or not God would be faithful to his word. And guys, he is faithful to his word, and it's happening right now. And this child is connected to the Messiah who will come to bring mercy and remember his covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Verse 74. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Right there, verse 74 and 75 answers the question, why does God intend to save If you ask someone in our culture, in our context, why does God save those he saves? The answer will probably come back so that when we die, we can go to heaven. And we have our focus on salvation being about something that won't be realized until we either go to the grave or Christ returns to take us home. But right here... Through prophetic utterance, Zechariah tells us exactly why Jesus saves those he saves. So that they might serve him. How are we going to serve him? Without fear. How can we be without fear? Because he conquered death. He went through it and got up from it. Without fear, we can follow him, even if it takes our life. And we can begin to serve him, not only without fear, but in holiness. How is that going to be possible when Christ takes our sin on himself and pays for it? Then he is then able to put his righteousness, his holiness to our account. So that we, even though we are as broken as we know we are, as we as we realize every day and struggle against, can get up every day and pour 100% of our existence into the service of the one who saved us, not about into the future, but about into the right now and the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. And so that when we do reach eternity, either through the grave or the return of Christ, we won't begin To celebrate and serve Him in His presence then. We'll just be able to do more of what we've already been doing since He saved us. And released us from our enemies. So that we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. And you child, He said you well you're going to be the prophet and and, and notice that zachariah says you're going to be the prophet of the most high who class can be the most high none but god himself none but god himself and you will go before the lord now what i find interesting is that this idea of the Lord is found in Psalm 110, verse number 1. Susie, you got that one? Psalm 110, 1. David utters, what, I, what interestingly I found out is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. David utters, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Who is David talking about when he says, the Lord says, who is he talking about? He's talking about God. He's talking about Yahweh, the one speaking in the bush to Abraham, the one giving the ability to walk across the Red Sea, the one who saved Noah from the flood, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of David. The Lord said to my Lord. David referring to, to the one who was to come of his line and sit on his throne whose kingdom would last forever. Had this one come yet? No. One day I hope to be a grandfather, but am I a grandfather yet? No. Yet David is saying, God has said to my Lord, Messiah. How, how, how can God say to my Lord, Messiah, when he, he's not even here yet? I don't know that David knew. When God said to Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Zechariah is referring back to Messiah, Lord, and says, you child, You're going to be a prophet of the Most High and you're going to go and you're going to make His way straight. You're going to prepare the way for Him. You're going to give knowledge of salvation to His people. Right, because Messiah is coming to save. You're going to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins we hadn't got there yet. What is John the Baptist going to be consistently crying to the people who will come to the wilderness and hear them, hear him speak? It's an R word. Repent. 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 Messiah is coming to bring salvation, freedom from our enemies, the ability to serve Him all of our days without fear, in holiness, through the forgiveness of our sins that can come only through repentance and faith. Messiah is coming to bring salvation that has way more to do than the Romans. He's coming to save us. Why why would he do such a thing? Because, verse 78, of the tender mercy of our God. The mercy of our God not giving us what we deserve. The grace of God giving us what we don't deserve. He's coming to bring salvation and freedom and the opportunity to serve him in holiness without fear as he had always intended whereby verse number 78 whereby the sun shall visit, or the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace we hear the phrase it's darkest just before dawn I don't know if that's a scientific fact or if that's just an old wives' tale. But it rings true with what Zechariah is saying. Messiah is coming. Messiah is saving. Messiah is forgiving. Messiah is loosening the chains. And you, child, you're going to be a prophet of the Most High going before Messiah to tell everyone salvation is coming through the forgiveness of sins. Y'all... The sun is about to rise at the darkest time. If you can imagine the notion, the idea, the figure of speech as though the earth is shrouded in darkness. Unable to see. Incapable of knowing which way to turn. But you've all been there before. At the beach or in the mountains. And you're sitting and you're waiting. One of the most magnificent sunrises I've ever seen was on the side of a mountain in Derudan, India. So unique. It would be freezing. You'd have to bundle up beanie, sweatshirt, jacket. It would be frigid out there on the little porch where we did our study for these brand new believers that had come come to faith out of the muslim faith and we're we're freezing and we're looking and that sun begins to crest that mountain it's like you could reach out and touch and 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 the brilliance of those rays as that light begins to shine and and you know what one of the most amazing things was is that as that sun began to crest and it began to get higher and higher you were just like I, i gotta get out of this jacket the unique place that we were at that elevation put us so close to that heat that as the sun crashed, you were just like, man, it's getting bright and man, I'm getting hot. And we could get about our business. Zachariah says, this world is shrouded in darkness, but the sunrise is going to come And it's going to provide light for those in darkness. What did John say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. And God made all things through him. He put on flesh, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But something else he said. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light, John said, not the Baptist, but the apostle, the light shined in darkness. And if you grew up with the King James, you would, you would quote it as, and the darkness comprehended it not. And we think, oh, that means that the, that the darkness couldn't understand the light. Bad translation. Bad English word. It wasn't that it couldn't comprehend the light. That word would better be translated. And that light came in and the darkness that existed could not extinguish the light because once messiah's light was turned on there wasn't no more turning it off it's all to be seen and he's ready to be followed and those who sit in darkness can walk out of this darkness into perfect peace following him serving without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days and you child you get to be the one to go tell everybody he's coming he's coming it's right here on us and we got to be ready in verse number eight he says and the child grew and became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to israel the takeaway from this little section is that God saves us to serve him with our lives today. God comes to release us from the bondage of our sin through forgiveness. Yes. God releases us from our enemy, from, the, from slavery to our enemy. Yes. God comes to bring us blessing unimaginable, bring us peace and to give us the opportunity to be called the children of God. Yes. And and God saves us so that we can spend eternity with Him? Of course. But God saves so that we might walk with Him, so that we might follow Christ, so that we might... Walk by faith so that we might live in this life today through obedience and service without fear because I've been forgiven and I've been given new life by you. Without fear because God, if you lead me into the valley of the shadow of death and it actually turns into death itself, I know you've already conquered death. In holiness, not having to worry about what I was before Christ, not having to think about the person that I used to be, because forgiveness of sins comes through the gospel, not only to save me, but to sustain me in this walk. And the righteousness given to me by Christ, well, I can do what He's called me to do, and that's represent Him. Sharing the good news to all of those in darkness bringing the light of salvation to the dark world by my life in service to him and you child will you get to make the way for him god saves us to serve him and serving him walking with him always requires obedience and there is no substitute. What would be a great way to respond to the teaching of God's Word today? As we're looking into Christmas, we're getting excited about what's to come and, and the celebrations and the, and the get-togethers and all the fun. What would be a great response? It couldn't get any better than, Father, I believe that you gave your Son, Messiah, God the Son, to pay for my sin. Through his death on the cross. And that you proved that that sin was forgiven by raising him from the dead. And and I trust that completely and wholly without reservation. I want to be yours. I want to embrace Messiah today. Not just in the manger but crucified, risen, my Savior, my Lord. That would be a great way to respond today if you've never trusted Jesus' Savior. He loves you and he'll only take you just like you are but he'll transform you he'll redeem you he'll set you free from your past from your present and he'll usher you into service that will glorify him all the way to the end or maybe today would be a good day for you to say lord I i know i'm your child but quite frankly, I've been trying to balance out my disobedience with other stuff that I think is good and that I think if if I just do more of this, then you'll, you'll be okay with my disobedience. And I know that it's not okay because you just keep showing me in my heart, in my mind. You keep keep bringing me back over and over and over where I'm being disobedient. And so, God, today I just want to confess my disobedience. I want to confess my sin, and, and, and I, want to, I want to do what you've said, and by your grace, I will follow through. Well, maybe today would be a great day for all of us to say, you know what, today is going to be the last day that I think about my salvation as primarily about an after-death location. If I know Jesus is Savior, if I've been redeemed by His grace through His blood, then I know my responsibility is to serve Him and to serve Him today with everything I got, with all that I am for His glory, knowing that I can do so with freedom. And it'll be profitable as I obey. So Christmas is not here, but we're just around the corner. Today would be a great day for us to prepare our hearts to celebrate afresh and anew. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I know some of you are burdened. I know some of you are feeling pressures that I've never understood. But I know our God knows He meets us where we're at. He doesn't always change things to the way we want it to be. But He walks with us. He carries us when we don't have the strength. What's He saying to you today? You need to trust Him. There's no hope in anything but Christ. And there's no way to him any other way but faith. Is there something that needs confessing? It's right where you're at. He knows it. You're not hiding it from him. You're just kicking the can down the road. Today would be a great day for us all to say, nope, from now on, I understand. I've been saved to serve by His grace, I'm going to do that without fear and holiness and righteousness before Him for all of my days. And when our days are done, we'll just keep on doing it in His presence for eternity. So, Father, we thank You for the day. We thank You for an opportunity that we can in this Christmas season to think about those events that happened just a few months before the birth of your Son, our Savior, God the Son. God, we thank you for the birth of John. We thank you for what his role is going to be that we'll see play out in just a few chapters. We're thankful for the the scenes that we're able to look at and the lessons that we're able to learn, but ultimately, you draw our hearts to Jesus. You draw our attention to him. And I pray that he will become not only the focus of this season, but the absolute focus of our life. God, I pray that you'll protect those who are going to travel. I know that there are some that are that are home and they're, they're, they're not being around people because of a possible exposure to the COVID virus. God, I would pray that none of those individuals would discover any type of positivity and that it wouldn't ruin any of the plans that have been made. And that, that would be our desire. That's what we're asking. But ultimately, we want your will to be done. God, I, I pray for those that, uh, th- that have been in accidents this week that we've learned about. Angie's mom that's fallen. And, and God, I just pray that you'll help her as she helps her mama. Bring her to recovery soon. Father, we pray for those that are carrying heavy burdens. That you'll make your presence known. God, we look forward to a, an awesome time of Christmas. For those that will be hard on because of circumstances or changes, I pray that your grace, I pray that your love will be so evident in them that they won't be able to deny it. And we'll be able to come back next week and hear about the birth of our King, our Lord, our Savior. We love you. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus. And all the voices the church says, amen.